Today we're talking about We Are Loved. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm excited about this message because, man, I kind of got a, I got some, some fresh revelation just studying for this message about God's love for us and what it does and, and how it really affects our life. And so I hope to do it justice this morning. I want to, I want to start actually in, cha- in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18 and 19. I want to give you something just to kind of build the case here. Uh, but most of us determine or, ex- or expect God to love us like we've been loved in our past. Okay? So a lot of us struggle with, we see God as maybe you saw your daddy. Anybody ever do that? You kind of understand God, your relationship with God, kind of how you had a relationship with your daddy, whether it was good or bad. Some of us experience and receive love how we experienced and received love as a kid. And so a lot of times our, our, our experiences in our youth or, or even in our adult life can affect the way we receive love from God. You, you tracking with me this morning? And so, so what I want to do today is I want to show you how God loves us and how it's so much greater than we can ever imagine. And I don't want us to be stuck on how we've experienced love to this point, but I want us to expect a deeper level of love from God. Okay? Ephesians three eighteen to 19, it says this. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to be understood fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Isn't that good? God's love for us is not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. When you think you know God's love at this level, he's going to come and surprise you from another dimension with his love. He's going to hit you with some love in a, in a different direction. He's going to surprise you. You see, that's the thing about God is he loves to surprise us and give us more than we even expect. Right? He loves to, he loves to lavish on us. He loves to pour out on us more than we even ask for in most cases. Right? And so God's love is multidimensional. Now watch the end of this verse. It says, then when you, when you experience God's love, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So check this out. God didn't put you on the planet and say, okay, receive my love. God puts you on the planet, and then he gives you the power to understand his love. You seeing this? He's going to help you understand how great his love is. You know why? Because he knows you can't get it on your own. He's got to help us. See, God's always helping us. Even when you don't think he's helping you, he's helping you. I mean, if he's got to help me understand how much he loves me, then his love is pretty complex. Pretty wide and deep and long and high, right? So God helps us to understand his love. And and, and be honest with you, I don't expect to find the end of God's love before eternity. I'm desperately seeking the new measures and the new depths of his love, but I fully, I'm I'm just, I've come to the conclusion that I'm probably not going to get to the end of his love before eternity. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep seeking, keep finding, keep pursuing God's love. Amen? It's just that big. It's just that 
big. It completes us. Isn't that awesome? God's love will complete you. How many of you remember the, the movie, um, Show Me the Money? It's an old movie by now. I mean, back, you know, kind of dating myself. But the, the movie, Show Me the Money. And there was a scene in the movie where one of the characters looks at the other, and it was a guy and a girl, and they were in this relationship, and they'd been struggling. And I think the girl looks at the guy, and she goes, you complete me. You remember that part of the movie? And she just, he completes her. And I go, <laughs> whatever. Because anytime you expect your spouse to complete you, you're deceived. Because at the same time you're expecting them to complete you, they're expecting you to complete them. It's not going to happen. Right? But God's love will complete you. God's love will fill you up and give you a full life. So let's jump into Ephesians 5. Here we go. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. I'm really going to camp out in these two verses for most of my message. And then at the end, I'm going to show you what the rest of the chapter has to say. But Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, let me read it to you. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. A pleasing aroma to God. I want to make you look at your neighbor and go, <laughs> but you might not be comfortable doing that. <laughs> so let me give you verse, I mean, uh, point one. Point one is this. Imitate God in everything. Now you got to pay attention here because I'm going to get a little sticky in a minute. I'm going to address some issues that, that you may be a little tossed on. And some of you, I hope you don't leave confused, but let's see if we can straighten this out. But Ephesians 1 says this. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. So Paul is telling the church of Ephesus to imitate God. He's not saying imitate Paul. He's saying imitate God. When Paul called Timothy and he called some other guys to come and, and be his disciple, he said, come follow me as I follow Christ. Paul never wanted to bring anybody to himself. He wanted to bring them along the journey to Christ. Are you seeing this? So Paul's saying, imitate God in everything you do. Say everything. You need to underline that in your Bible. Everything. Everything that you do should imitate God. Why? Because we are his children. How many of you got children this morning? Raise your hands real quick. You got kids? Okay, you know kids have attitudes, right? I mean, sometimes we want to say they're born that way. But the reality is, is we make them that way. Right? Yeah. Y'all didn't shout me down on that one, did you? Let me, let me, let me tell you what I see as being a parent. Because I, I didn't know how to be a parent when I became a parent. And I'm still trying to figure it out. So my kids are becoming teenagers now. They're all kind of in between 13 and 16 years old. And so I don't have to paddle them that much anymore. Um, it's, it's more grounding now and dealing with attitudes. Just these stinking attitudes. And I hate attitudes. Come on, somebody. You going to preach with me this morning? I hate attitudes. So when my kids pop off with an attitude, something inside of me clicks. I mean, it's like this switch that goes off and, and uh, I turn into Hulk, the Hulk and, and I'm uncontrollable and, and, and pray for me. And so 
So these attitudes come up. And boy, every time I go and I deal with the attitude, the way we discipline our kids is we bring them into a room privately because I don't want to embarrass them in front of everybody else. I want to give them some respect and teach them about respect. So I bring them into a room and we have a good heart-to-heart warm conversation about their attitude and how it stinks and how it's not pleasing to God and all these other things. And I'm sitting in there and I'm giving them the what for. I mean, I'm preaching. Come on, you, your attitude stinks. You've been, it's been stinking all day. You've been impatient with everybody. And I'm sitting there drilling my kids. Some of you may experience this, what I'm about to tell you, but it's, it, it just it gets me every time. I'm drilling my kids on their attitude, and I hear this voice. And the back of my head goes, yep, that's the same thing you do. Yep, wonder where they got it from. Well, they had to get it from school, God. It didn't come from me. Right? Where did it come from? It came from me. When my kids are lazy and I'm, I'm anxious and full of energy to go do something, and they want to sit back and go sit on the sofa and I get mad at them, that comes from me. Because there's days that God wants me to go do things and I don't want to do it and I sit on the sofa. They're imitating me. Are you seeing this? So when I get frustrated with my kids, it always comes back to me. Say me. Glad you didn't say you. So I see these, these attitudes. Now, now flip the coin when my kids do something right. Come on, we can do good news, right? They do, they do a lot of things right. When people come up to my wife and I say, man, your kids, they're just so great. I kind of listen before I say anything. I say, I'm waiting for the butt, you know. But, no, I'm picking. They go, your kids are so great. You know what God shows me? He goes, that comes from you too. You follow me? They're imitating their father and their mother, right? So Paul is saying, imitate God in everything that you do because you are his children. To imitate somebody is to do or not do what they do or don't do. It's to act like they act or like they don't act. Right? It's to respond like they either respond or don't respond. You see, when you're in a relationship with somebody and the closer you get to them, the more you see of them, the more you get to imitate the fullness of them. Is this making sense? Okay. If you'll shake your head, I promise I'll finish before tomorrow. So we're called to imitate God, okay, in everything that we do. Paul's, Paul's very clear on that, right? So let me, let me get a little sticky with you. So this week and last week, I don't know what the deal is, but I've been hearing all this stuff. I've had people come to me more than, more than one occasion. I've had people come to me and say, man, Pastor, what about this? And, and what about that? And it's been a lot of the do's and don'ts in Christianity, how many of you know the do's and don'ts in Christianity can get sticky at times, right? I've had questions like, do we listen to secular music or do we not? Do we drink or do we not? Do we smoke or do we not? Do we watch R-rated movies or is PG-13 the limit? What do we do, pastor? What do we do? And so I go, man, why are you asking these questions? Don't you know what we're supposed to be doing and not doing? 
And so this, this has just come at me this week, and it's, it's this and that and all this stuff. And I'm going, God, are we still here where we're fighting over the do's and don'ts in Christianity? And so I said, well, okay, it, evidently it's, it's, a, it's here, and I need to address it. And studying for my message, I feel like God told me to address it. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to address it. And so let me tell you about the do's and don'ts in Christianity. The Bible is full of do's and don'ts. You know that if you read your Bible. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, do, don't say that. Don't say this. Don't hang out with this. Don't go there. And then it's also full of do's. Do this and do that and be this and be that. Right? The Bible's full of them and they're clear. They're crystal clear. The problem we have is that in, in years past, legalism and religion has twisted up the do's and don'ts in the Bible. Okay, so they take, they take the Bible, and, the, and a new believer comes into the church, and they take the Bible with the do's and the don'ts, and they start beating people across the head with them. Boom! Boom! You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And they beat people up with them, making them think that if I do or don't do, then I'm going to have a relationship with God. My relationship with God is based on my act and my actions. And how well I, I, I do at the do's and don'ts. Are you tracking? Shake your head if you're tracking. If you're not tracking, shake your head no. So, so because of that, the church, and I'm guilty of this, the church has backed away from preaching the do's and don'ts of Christianity. So now the end result is pseudo-grace. What's pseudo-grace, pastor? It's hyper-grace. It's, I can live like I want to live because I'm forgiven. I can sleep with who I want to sleep because I'm forgiven. I can be what I want to be. I can do what I want to do. I'm forgiven. So now you've got a, a world full of Christians who are totally misrepresenting God. It's time to bring it back to where it belongs. It's time to preach it as crystal clear as it is. And as in today, I'm not coming to you with my opinions because my opinions are my opinions. I'm coming to you today with the crystal clear word of God and what he says about what to do and what not to do. And then I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to deal with you what he needs to deal with you about. Sounds good to you? All right. Sounds good to me, too. So. The Bible's full of do and do, do's and don'ts. Now, they're there for our benefit. Okay, remember who Paul's talking to. He's talking to believers. They're already Christians. They've already made Jesus the Lord of their life. They've already confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. They're already Christians. They're already saved. He's talking to people that are already saved. And, he, and he's giving them some do's and don'ts. So that means that you don't have to do, do the do's and don'ts to be saved. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by how good you are. You're saved by faith through grace. Amen. So let's just nail that down. That's how you're saved. So the, but that doesn't eliminate the do's and don'ts from the Bible. The Bible still has do's and don'ts. Why? For your benefit. For our benefit. So that we can live and thrive this Christian life that God's given us. So 
So religion and legalism wants to say that you got to get the do's and don'ts right in order to be right with God. But the reality is, is when you gave your life to Jesus, you, you came into a right standing with God. Are you seeing this? The Bible says you went from an enemy of God to a friend of God. Okay, you tracking with me? So you can do all the do's and don'ts you want. You're still in right standing with God. Are you getting this? Okay, but the do's and don'ts are important. Watch what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance... That's how, how's that feel? The Bible just called you ignorant. Does that feel good? Not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Why do we need to be holy? Because he is holy. Why? Because we're imitating God. Because Paul said to imitate God. What does that mean? To be holy because he's holy. I want to imitate the God that I trust, the God that I've given my life to, the God that sent his only son to save me. I'm trusting him with my life. Imitate him and be holy like he is holy. That's the reason we want holiness. This is either really good or really bad. He says, be holy for I am holy. God seems to keep things very simple for us, doesn't he? Let me break it down to you in Jamie version. Do what daddy does. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Do what daddy does. What do you mean, Pastor? Do what God does. It's not deep. God didn't make it complicated for us. He kept it very simple. I believe we're the ones that make it complicated. We're his children. We're in a relationship with him. Then we should be influenced by him. So, so if we're to imitate God and the church is not there, the church is not doing what it should be doing by imitating God, then what's the problem? Does God have an example problem? Or do we have an imitating problem? And I'm going to explain to you why in a little while, why we have an imitating problem. I wonder if the reason we have an imitating problem is because we're looking for love in all the wrong places. If we're looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. We just read in Ephesians 3 that if we'll understand God's love for us, we will be complete. So the questions come up, Pastor, can I listen to secular music? My counsel is if you want to listen to secular music, listen to secular music. I'm not here to tell you what to listen to or what not to listen to. I'm here to equip you to go do the work of the ministry. Amen. Amen? That's my job. That's my responsibility. We covered it last week in Ephesians. That's my job. But I will say this. If you're listening to secular music, is God listening to secular music? What are you looking for in secular music that you can't find in Christian music? What are you looking for in wine that you can't find in praise? What are you looking for in cigarettes that you can't find in your relationship with God? 
You see, there's an issue there. There's a void. There's something missing. The reason we go to outside sources is because there's, miss, there's something missing on the inside of us. Ephesians just said that if you'll be filled with God's love, you'll be complete. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying, imitate God. In everything that you do, because we're his children. Watch verse the, the second verse. It says this. It says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So Paul's telling us to live a life filled. Get this now. Filled. What is full? Full is full, right? If I give my kids to make me a glass of tea. I say, hey, baby, would you make me a glass of tea? And, and I had to train them. If they come with a three-quarter glass of tea, that's not a glass of tea. I'm a big drinker. I want like spilling full, right? When you buy a two liter Coke at the store, you want it full. You get your Coke from, or your drink from, from the Sonic, you want it not full of ice, but full of, right? You want it full. So full is full. Paul is saying, live a life filled with the love of God. Live a life filled with God, with the love of God. I wonder, as I've discovered in my own life, that anytime I drift away and I slip off into things that I'm not supposed to be in, because you see, temptation is common to every one of us in this room. I'm tempted just as much as you are. I'm tempted every time I get on the computer. I'm tempted every time I I go into the public. I'm tempted every time there's bluebell in the house. I'm tempted every time I go to a buffet. I'm tempted every time I get frustrated to let something come out that shouldn't come out. Right? I'm tempted all the time. Why is it that sometimes I have victory and sometimes I don't? I've discovered in my own life that the days that I have victory over temptation and sin are the days that I'm close to God and I'm filled up with his love. Because when I'm full of his love, I don't long for anything else because I'm full. I'm actually nicer when I'm full of God's love. And all my kids said, amen. Are you getting this? So when I'm filled with God's love, there's no more voids inside of me that gives room for the flesh to say, I need some of this and I need some of that. And I got to give me some of this. Oh, I got to have that. I caught a fiend the other day. And my wife sent me to Winn-Dixie. She doesn't send me to the store very often because of this reason. She sends me to Winn-Dixie to get bread. Well, I'm on my way to the bread aisle. You know, Winn-Dixie, it's all the way on the other side. Place drives me nuts because the bread needs to be with the rest of the food over there. But just anyway, pet peeve. So I'm on my way to the bread aisle and I pass up the chips. How many of you have chips that speak to you sometimes? I, I ain't gonna lie to you, but a week before that, I smelled something that smelled like like uh, bean dip. You might not like bean dip, but to me it's from heaven. It's going to be there when we get there. I, d- I had this craving for bean dip all of a sudden. And man, I'm walking by the aisle and, I, and you know the chips I saw, right? It was the corn chips. The big ones that you can scoop a lot of bean dip with. So I passed by and I just went. Phew. So you know what? She sent me to the store. I'm getting me something today. I grabbed my two loaves of bread and I went straight to the chip aisle. I grabbed up the corn chips 
And I got, I had to look for the bean dip. I thought they was out of bean dip. I had to, it took me a while. I finally found the bean dip. When I saw it, it was like, ah. And so I, I grabbed the bean dip. I was like, cool, it's going to be on when I get to the house. I get to the house and my wife always looks at my bag. She goes, what'd you get? And I go, I got me some bean dip. And so, man, I cracked open that can. I bust open the bag. She's cooking supper. And I'm just sitting there. I just started. I'm thinking, no. And I'm telling myself, I'm just going to take a few bites. I killed the whole can. And then my wife goes, you know how much fat's in that bean dip? I said, not much at all. Hallelujah. I'm doing good. She said, but what about the chips? I said, shut up. I want to hear about the chips. But I fell into temptation. There must have been a little void of God's love in my heart somewhere because I just fell into the temptation of bean dip. Come on, somebody. You know what your your temptation is. (laughs) Pray for me. Please. Let me give you this before I move on to point two. Ephesians 4.30 says this. Man, this was a good verse last week. That's why I encourage you to listen to that message. Ephesians 4.30 says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Let that soak in for a minute. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Can I tell you in my own life, I've, I've noticed at times when I've broken the Holy Spirit's heart, when I've brought sorrow to him. There's been times in my life when I've just lost it, I've blown it, I've made dumb decisions, I fell into this, or I didn't do that, and I just went. It's almost like I could feel the heartbreak of the Holy Spirit. And And honestly, it's called conviction. It's called, man, I knew I blew it. Thank God that he forgave me and that he cleansed me from that. And that he's helping me in that area. And I'm gaining victory all the time. But there's been times that I've brought grief to the Holy Spirit. So the Bible's clear that we can actually bring sorrow or grief to the Holy Spirit by how we live. So the question is, is what are you bringing to the Holy Spirit? How are you making the Holy Spirit feel by the way you live? Because if you can bring the Holy Spirit sorrow, then you can also bring it joy. Come on, somebody. If you can break its heart, you can also fill it with joy, right? You can make the Holy Spirit dance. You can get them all excited. You can make an uproar in heaven by the way you live. The second portion of that verse says this. It says, remember, he has identified you as his own. Listen to this. You're identified as God's children. You're identified as his children. Well, how do people know? There's a mark on your life. In the supernatural world, when the enemy looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus all over you. And he goes, ooh, got one of those over there. We're identified as his children. The Bible goes on to say that we're his representation to the planet. Are you getting this with me this morning? We're representing God On the planet. That's why we're only here for a little while. This is an eternity. Praise God. Right? There's no humidity in heaven. 
Come on, that ought to, you ought to be jumping up, shouting and dancing, hallelujah, and all that good stuff. There's no humidity in heaven. The temperature's perfect. This isn't heaven. We're here to do what? Represent God, build his kingdom, and get the heck out of Dodge and go see him in eternity. Right? And if we'll stay focused on that and how we live, we'll draw enough people into the relationship with God that he'll say, okay, that's enough. Let's go. But what happens? We get too busy trying to fill a voids in our life with worldly things that just will never fill them. We're identified as his children. So number one, imitate God in everything. Number two, live life filled with God's love. Super simple. Live life filled with God's love. Verse two says, live a life filled with, with love following the example of of Christ. So when I read that scripture, it makes me go, okay, how did Christ example that to us? How did Christ live a life filled with love? Do you remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? He was baptized. John baptized him in the river. You remember that moment? He goes under the water. He comes up. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. A voice from heaven cries out, this is my son in whom I, I'm, I really love. And all that, that moment. And then Jesus gets up out of the water and he goes into the desert to be tempted by Satan himself. For 40 days, how did he have victory? How did he win? How did he live a life filled with love in that moment? Think about it. For 40 days, he was filled with God's love. How do you know, Pastor? Because the Bible constantly talks about how Jesus broke apart from the crowd And he would go to a quiet place or he would get up early in the morning before the kids got up to go spend time with Jesus because it was so important to spend time with God. And he understood that, that he did whatever it took to get his quiet time with God every day. It was important to him. And he'd come out of that meeting with God, filled with his love, ready for anything that the world could send him, ready for anything that a religious person could throw at him. He was ready for the day because he had spent time with God and got his tank full of love. But we're trying to to give God about a second. Hey, God, good morning. Got to go. Busy day. And we run over here half empty. And when the boss man bumps you. Beep. When something happens, when temptation comes, are you getting this? There's a void. Why? Because we didn't take care of business. We didn't come over here and devote the first fruits of our day to God. It's not religious. It's real. It's not legalistic. It's real. If Jesus had to get up early in the morning and get away from everybody, sneak away. Think about that. Some of you women, you, the only time you get away from your kids is when you go to the bathroom and you can lock the door. How do you know? Because y'all tell me that all the time. Women say, I got to lock the door. And then they come banging on the door and they're slipping stuff under the door and they're doing all kind of crazy. I can't get any time with Jesus. Come on, mamas. Amen. I've heard. I don't know, but I've heard. But Jesus constantly got away and he took care of a number one priority in his life. He spent time in the presence of God and let God fill him up with his love. That tells God that you're the most important thing to me on this planet. 
That tells God that you're number one in my life. That tells God that I love you more than I love my day. I love you more than I love my job. I love you more than what I'm trying to accomplish today. I love you more than anything else in this world. It's not religious. It's real. If Jesus, by golly, had to get up early and get away from the disciples, that was the church folk. (laughs) If he had to do it, then maybe we need to do it, right? We need to get away and spend some time with God every day and let him fill us up with his love. Paul said to live a life filled with God's love. That means that we got to take our action. Our responsibility is to take care of that time with God. How do we do that, Pastor? You bring your Bible. You bring your little notebook, little journal, whatever you like to do. You bring your stuff and you go to a quiet place and you sit down or you stand up. I'm a sitter. You sit down or stand up and then you start to worship God. You see, you don't want to come in with your little list. Come on, you know how you are. Come in with your little list. All right, Lord. I'm here. I need this, this, that, this. Save my boss before I kill him. Save my kids before I kill him. And we come to God with this list. So think about this. Somebody calls you on the phone and you say hello. And the first thing they say is, hey, I need you to do this, this, that, and this, and that. How does that make you feel? You want to go, clink. And then when they call you back, you want to go, Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Right? You come into the presence of God and your time with God and you worship him. What does that mean? It means you just tell him how good he is. You tell him how beautiful he is. You tell him and thank him for all that he's done in your life. Lord, thank you for that great victory yesterday, Lord. Thank you that air conditioning didn't break last night. And listen, we had young kids. I get up in the morning. Lord, thank you them kids slept all night. Hallelujah. Right? Thank him for whatever you need to thank him for. And worship him and spend some time with him. And then if you, if you feel like you need to, crack open your Bible and read something. Or maybe listen to what he's got to say. Because here's the truth. God speaks to all of us. God speaks to all of us. I'm going to say it again. God speaks to all of us. It's not just my job to hear from God. I'm not Moses. And by the way, God wanted to introduce himself to the people in Israel in the desert, but they got scared and went away. They actually said, no, 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 Moses, you, you do that. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll let you translate the whole thing for us. And some of you like that with church. You come to church to see what God got to say. That's not good for attendance, but <laughs> oh, well. But God speaks to every one of us. It doesn't matter your age or your stage. He speaks to every one of us. And if you'll spend time with him, he'll fill you up with his love. And you'll be ready for the day. You worship him, then you pray. You read your Bible. Those are dues that we're responsible for. Every one of us. We're responsible for that. Think about what Jesus had to go through. He's born in a barn. Born in a barn. 
He's the royal priesthood. Come on, somebody. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's born in a barn. If I can say that right. Trying to make the difference. This ain't working. He comes out of that. He's an average, everyday person. Nobody knows he's the Messiah until until the Holy Spirit starts revealing it to him. He's almost undercover. He calls 12 men to come follow after him, a bunch of hoodlums. He has to rebuke several of them several times. Peter's always messing stuff up. He's got all these religious people in front of him constantly questioning everything that he's doing and everything that he's saying. He's got the legalist people saying that he can't eat on Sunday and he can't perform miracles on Sunday. He's got the do's and the don'ts all up in his face everywhere he goes. And and every time I read about Jesus, I go, man, how'd you not kill somebody? I mean, like, seriously, how'd you not take somebody out? I mean, think about the moment in the garden where Peter, <laughs> Jesus is getting arrested. Peter, swing, cuts the dude's ear off. How did you not royally rebuke him in that moment? How did you not get in the flesh, Jesus? You seeing this? Because he was filled with God's love. When you're filled with God's love, you, need, you leave no room for the flesh. First John 2 says this, 15 to 17, it says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Stop right there. There's no debating that, right? We can't sit here and argue that, can we? I'll read it again. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only cravings for the physical pleasure. A craving for something we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There's a constant battle in my life between the things of the world and the things of God. How many of you, how many of you understand what I'm talking about? Constant battle. The things in the world, let me, let me just be honest with you. They're pretty. The new Ford F-150 is pretty. I mean, straight up. It got me so lusting after getting a new truck. Mine's already paid for it. I said, I'll go get a note some days. I'm like, Lord, I'll get a note. I don't care. I just want that new truck. Can I just be honest with you? There's the, the things in the world are pretty. And they're tempting. But they're not lasting. And they'll never fill you up. They'll always let you down. You know what a drug addiction is? A drug addiction is chasing the very first high you ever got. That's the addiction. You're constantly looking for that first time feeling. And here's the thing. You never find it again. The cool thing about God's love. When you taste and see and experience God's love. It's addicting in a good way. 
You go, man, I got to get me some more of that. I got to stay closer. I got to get in deeper. It draws you in. And listen to me. The second time, it can actually get better than the first time. It's not like drugs where it's going to let you down the second time and make you keep coming back for more. You're going to come back for more because it's getting greater and greater and greater and greater. It's multidimensional. We'll never find the end of it. But if you keep searching and keep looking, you'll live a life that's filled with God's love. And you'll thrive in this world. Amen? You'll thrive. You keep seeking his love and you'll thrive and it'll fill you up every time. And you'll get closer and closer. It's funny how in all of these verses it brings up the word experience. We don't learn God's love by reading about it. We learn God's love by experiencing it. I've received his love. I've experienced his love at the greatest moments in my life in the lowest moments of my life. And the times that I've fallen flat on my face and I've been broken and busted and I just I repent and I come clean and I just tell God where I'm at and I get honest with everybody around me. His love comes rushing in and I go, man, you mean you'll take me back? You mean you still love me? You mean I'm okay? You mean I'm not I'm not damaged goods? You mean I can live a better life? You mean I don't have to be like that anymore? Let me finish reading Ephesians to you, then I'm going to try to wrap this up because I want to get into some of this. So we've covered verse one and two. Here's verse three. I want you to listen to what Paul's saying, because there's some do's and don'ts in here that we need to listen to. Verse three, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. Their evil intentions will will be exposed when the light shines on them. For light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Come on, somebody. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Can I get an amen? Instead, watch this. He's saying replace that with this. He's saying instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It leaves you with no hangover. 
Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks to, for everything that God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what Paul's saying to the church? He's crying out to the church. He's saying, I'm begging you to imitate God in everything you do and live a life filled with his love, just like Christ did. I smoke as much dope as I want to. I sleep with as many women as I want to. I cuss as much as I want to. I go out into anger as much as I want to. The reason I don't do those things is because I don't want to. God changed my want to. How did he change my want to? Because he filled me up with his love. He calls me his kid. He calls me his child. He tells me that I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He puts me at an equal place with Jesus in his family. I can sit at the same table that Jesus sits at. And because of that and because of how he's marked my life and who he calls me, I don't want that no more. Well, Pastor, why you don't go to rock concerts? Because I don't want to. Why you don't drink, Pastor? Because I don't want to. I don't need it. (laughs) Some days I want it. But I don't need it. Everything that we need is found in our relationship with God. How many times and ways can the Bible say that before we get it? That everything, everything we need is found in your relationship with God. As your relationship goes, so you go. If you lay back and you get lazy and you don't pursue the relationship with God or with Jesus, then, then you end up with the, the fruits of what you're, what you're dealing with. Every time I fall into temptation, every time I, I jump in the flesh, every time I blow it, I can look back and go, my relationship started slipping. You got to get this. My relationship started slipping. I am God's representation to this planet. I am the light in the darkness. And by golly, if he's filled me with light, why do I want to keep filling myself with darkness? Right? If he's, I, I, I believe this for my own self. If God had to deliver me from something, then I don't ever need to go back to it. Right? And he delivered me from a lot. I don't need to go back from it, back to it. If he had to pull me out of it, why would I go back to it? Listen, I'm studying this thing and I'm preparing a message for you, but I got to say something. My message was last night. God dealt with me last night about some areas in my life that I've slipped, some things that I've allowed to come in. I'm still his son. He's still proud of me. He still loves me. He still, I still got a seat at the table, but he's saying to me, son, I want you to tighten some things up. Not so that I'll love you more, but because I love you more. You're my representation. I, sometimes I feel like he's going, Jamie, come on, man. I got 10 dead people going to be in your path today. Would you just imitate me? 
I got 10 people that if they get in a car wreck today, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Would you just, would you just imitate me today? Would you just be filled with my love today? So that when you bump into them, some love will spill out on them. And they would have an opportunity to give their life to Jesus. It's not about the here and now. It's about eternity. We're living for eternity, not for right now. Right? Our job is to, is to invade heaven and to populate heaven and to deplete hell. That's our job. Before any other job. I just feel days, I just feel heaven just crying out saying, come on, man. Susie's at the grocery store, man. She's thinking about committing suicide. Would you just go and bump into Susie? Are you hearing me? There's people dying every day. And God's got an assignment for us as his people. And I feel like that's what Paul's saying to us in chapter 5. He even goes into spirit-guided relationships at the end of the chapter. And he starts talking about how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife. Why? Why do I have to be a good husband? Why does she have to be a good wife? Because people are watching you. They don't read their Bible. They read you. My relationship with my wife is preaching the gospel. Come on, somebody. My relationship with my kids is preaching the gospel. Amen?